Hello you gorgeous people and welcome back to another episode of And Nobody Dies in This One. This week we're joined by Adriana, who you may know from their YouTube channel Perpetual Pages. We had a big old chat about queer literature and how the internet has changed how we access books and as ever, get sidetracked by talking about TV shows. Oh, and Adriana gave us a ton of queer book recommends. The universe has very much been against us recording this episode. It's taken two months, two separate recordings, lots of failed internet connections, numerous Skype crashes, countless cries of, oh, I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, oh, you've gone. And some very patient editing on A's part. But we've made it, and we're here with a chunky hour-long chat for you to indulge in. But before I let you do that, a small bit of admin. This is going to be our last episode for a while. Life has got super hectic for both A and myself at the moment. We're both freelancers and are very much burning the candle at both ends and we don't want that to impact the quality of episodes that we're able to release. So we'll be taking a little break from podcasting over the summer, but never fear, we'll be back to keep you company once those long cold nights start creeping in. But for now, enjoy our chat with the wonderful Adriana. Looking for a good love story with queer people having lots of fun. It's your lucky day, cause we've got the tale for you. And nobody dies in this one. So we're here today with Adriana. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so hi everyone. My name is Adriana. I am a 26-year-old Mexican-American vlogger and book reviewer. I put out a lot of bookish content on the internet, primarily on my booktube channel, Perpetual Pages. I am queer, aromantic, and non-binary, and I use they, them, their pronouns with no acceptable substitutions, alternatives, returns, or exchanges. Thank you very much. (laughs) Such a succinct intro. I love it. I I love it so much. I was very proud of myself when I wrote that. (laughs) You should be. Definitely. Um, Please, can you tell us when you got your official queer membership card? Yeah, so that's exciting for me because I don't really get to tell the story to a lot of people. But I do want to preface it by saying that for a lot of queer folks, our identity can't always be boiled down to one definitive moment. I think there are two popular narratives in queer culture, which are the I always knew narrative and the that's when I knew I was gay narrative. And it doesn't always pan out that way for everyone. And I think for everyone listening who is still maybe exploring that space, it's okay if you don't have that. That said, there is a moment I always come back to in my own life. And it's a story that I don't get to tell often, like I said. So strap in because it's going to be fresh. (laughs) I'm excited. Um, (laughs) It's the exclusive. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. So this was when I was studying for my bachelor degree in university. And while I've never been the kind of person to deny myself permission to be attracted to anyone even growing up, I had a ton of explicitly queer crushes in college. Anyways, I was taking this nonfiction writing workshop and there was only one other queer Latinx person in that workshop who I remember acknowledged me for the first time by actually squealing out loud when I introduced myself to the class as queer. (laughs) So I always remembered her for that. But one day after the workshop, I'm walking back to the parking lot, which happens to be in the same direction as the bus stop. And I guess I caught her on her way to the bus stop as we were both 
waiting for this crosswalk light to change. First, I didn't even see her because I had my headphones on. I was living in my own cinematic universe, but I took out one headphone when I saw her and we said hi, we were chatting, light changes, we cross the street together. And I'm in the middle of orchestrating this delicate social extraction where you try to like time the ending of your conversation with a natural pivot of parting ways. And right as I'm about to say like, (laughs) well, it was nice talking to you. I'll see you next time. Like the bus pulls up and I can see her like visibly bracing herself to say something. So I wait. She very deliberately like looks me up and down in an approving manner and says, I just wanted to let you know that you look really good today. And then before I can even say anything, she's literally hauling ass to get on the bus That's such good timing you could write that she stuff. planned it out so yeah so that was the moment for me because i stood there and i thought to myself like what a powerful thing what a powerful experience it is to be desired by a woman and i thought i would not mind having that happen many many more times in my life so that was my essential queer moment of standing in my truth that is, it's that is such Thank a good, <laughs> good moment. I know she had guts. clearly it was it was like meant to be the universe. <laughs> so cinematic. Yeah, I know. Well, like that. Well, that's something that doesn't really happen. Like people being like, "Hey, you look good today," or like, "Hey, I'm attracted to you." It doesn't happen a lot. So that was, it was especially cool. not just before they get on the bus. I like that. I know you were trying to plan. <laughs> Kate planning is just, just yeah. Good. She was. I don't know. She was holding on to that all day or something. Yeah. Well, I like the fact that you were trying to time the end of the conversation and she was trying to like get to that point as well and like I can't say this thing until I can just get on the bus and run away from the thing that I said (laughs) I know I was just like being my anxious self like okay gotta be cool gotta like walk away like cool guys don't look at explosions type thing but like (laughs) yeah she up she won up me for sure (laughs) can you um tell us how you first got started with YouTube um were you sort of a, a viewer um, before you became a creator? How, how did you get into it? Yeah, I was definitely a viewer before I was a creator. I feel like I was in there in the early days um, with some of the bigger YouTubers like Heather from The Bookables and Jesse from Jesse the Reader and Priscilla from The Readables, I want to say it is. I don't think she has a channel anymore, but like So I started watching their videos and I thought to myself, well, like here's a subset of like people on YouTube talking about books. That's something I'm actually qualified to talk about. So like maybe I can do this. What decided you to start your videos? I think it was just like the perfect storm of circumstance. Like I'd always been thinking about it ever since I started following more booktubers and then I got my first laptop, which had a webcam and had like built in editing programs. And so like, for the first time, I had like, all my ducks in a line. And I was like, okay, now I have the means to do it. So like, why not do it? Do you remember what your first videos looked like? Trash. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they were just me like sitting on the floor of my bedroom. My first video was actually in my sister's room because I chose to start my channel when we were remodeling the entire upstairs. And I didn't I didn't have any bookshelves in my room, like my whole room was tore up from the floor up. And I decided that's when I was going to start my channel. So a lot of it is like me sitting on the floor of my bedroom or some random room like on my webcam with this like horrible audio quality horrible video quality yeah there's rough but I did it so like content wise um 
have you sort of stuck to like the same thing or have you evolved quite a bit over the years or in in terms of the content that you're making how how do your first videos sitting on your sister's bedroom floor compare to the content that you make now I mean, production-wise, they're so different because, you know, now I have a DSLR camera, now I have studio lights, now I have, like, a teleprompter and all that. So quality-wise, they're very different. Content-wise, I think I've pretty much stuck to my roots for the entire almost six years now that I've been on BookTube. I do a lot of reviews, wrap-ups, hauls, tag videos, recommendations top five lists, that kind of stuff. I think there's something comforting about the staple videos of BookTube, and I think everybody does them differently in their own way. So I just kind of like stay in that lane. And I just remember that all I want to do is like talk about books. So if I'm doing that, and if I'm doing it in a way that's true to myself, then like, that's exactly what I want. Oh, and um, how do you find what books you want to feature because and I'm making an assumption here but I imagine if you're going out to a bookstore or something if you know that you've got videos to make does that change the way that you shop for books or your attitude of how you find books or because you're making videos are you looking for them in different places how does they impact each other I think that's an interesting question because there it definitely does become a conversation between like, what do I want to read versus like, what do I want to feature and how do I want to feature it? I rarely go into a bookstore and like look around and not know what all the books are about. Like I have a very good idea just with like social media and I care a lot about like intersectionality and marginalized communities, queer books, authors of color. So I have a lot of like resources through social media, like disability and kid lit, rich in color, LGBTQ reads, YA pride, Latinx in publishing. I follow a lot of authors of color, queer authors, agents and editors of marginalized backgrounds. And usually they're doing the hard work for me in like promoting all these amazing new releases. Do you ever just like go into a bookstore and then you look around and you don't really know what you're going to get? Or do you have a list of books that you're going to buy and then you go to the bookstore and you buy those books and maybe like an extra one because like, I don't know, it has a rainbow on the cover or something. Because <laughs> I do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think like, I think as a book addict, you have to kind of have an idea or else you'll just like buy everything in sight. <laughs> oh, I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I usually go in with like a short list of books that I'm very excited to purchase and then like I'll sort of look around for them I do sort of browse casually to see like what else is out there but like I said it's very rare that I don't already know what the books are mm. I was so prepared I just sort of go in in free fall and, and bankrupt <laughs> myself yeah I do I want <laughs> I wander I see what's up but like I always have like an idea of what's going on it seems like a safe way of doing it <laughs> Um, you mentioned all these um, sort of online resources that you mm -hmm. use to help you find books. Mm -hmm. Do you think the internet has dramatically changed how people access books and literature? And has it changed it for the better or the worse? Or what, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, yeah, the internet has been 
a huge game changer, I think, for the publishing industry. And when I was growing up, I just had like the same 12 books that I just found on my own and just read and reread because like, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was being released. I didn't know like who the upcoming authors were. So I think, yeah, social media, like you now, it's just very in your face, like, Everyone's constantly promoting things and shouting out things. And sometimes it's for, you know, the business side of things. Sometimes it's just like because they're genuinely excited for these new and upcoming things. So it's definitely there's a lot more visibility. It's easier to find the exact kind of books you want, I think. So I think overall it's been helpful, but you have to kind of distinguish between again, like when you're being advertised to and like when something is just genuinely good and something that you want to invest in. That's quite a tricky thing to do because you don't know whether you're excited about it because you're being told to be excited about it and other people are or because you're genuinely excited because like you were saying, growing up, you sort of had 12 books that you knew you loved. For sure. My experience was sort of getting taken to the local library every week and being let loose and being, mm-hmm. you know, having a library card. And I think you could get maximum 10 books out. So if we were going on holiday for a week, I would get those 10 books out and my mum would take them off me so that I couldn't have read one in the car before we got home. <laughs> um, and that was because I was going and running through the shelves and just picking out things that I was. <laughs> excited by. Yeah. And I guess now you there's so much information coming at you yes it is tricky to know what what to be excited about especially with stuff like booktube where you kind of build a as as a watcher like as a viewer you kind of build a group of of people who you think you trust Mm -hmm. and so if that person is going to be like this book this is the book that you need to have read um right this is the one book that i recommend to you then your instinct will be i will go and buy that book and read that book and i'm gonna love it and then I've been exactly. disappointed with that because mm-hmm. clearly like everyone is different and everyone has, has different tastes and everyone on booktube that I follow is very like specific about saying that and like right. trying not to be preachy about books but there's like these kinds of books that are a staple on booktube like everyone yeah. loves them and so if you don't love them then you start doubting if you can trust the people on booktube and it's like yes you can always trust the people on booktube but it takes you <laughs> getting it wrong once to kind of yeah. be like okay my taste is still different to this person who i've trusted and who i've read my most favorite books i've read ever exactly. by listening to what they were saying i now know that i still need to be sure that this this is a story i want to hear about exactly And I think you always have that anxiety as a creator, like when you want to recommend something that's really important to you or something that really resonated with you, you always kind of worry, like, is everyone else going to enjoy this? Like, is someone going to pick this up and be regretful about it or not connect with it? But it's like, not everything is for everyone. And you just kind of have to live with that. Yeah. And it's it's always because like, I um, try to read as diversely as I can because Mm. I don't like men (laughs) (laughs) say it louder for the people in the back (laughs) and and so like I'm not specifically interested in those stories because I've seen Mm. them all before Um, yes but like sometimes like queer books are bad and sometimes like books by people of color are bad and you like find these uh, straight white people on booktube being like oh this book was great but it's because mm-hmm. they think they can't say that it wasn't 
Yeah. And then it adds a whole other layer of like, who can you like, who can you trust? trust? Yeah. I'm always wary of the people who will just like brand a book as like super important. And that's all they have to say about Mm -hmm. it is that like, it's important, but they can't articulate why it's important or what it meant to them. To me, that's like a little red flag that, okay, (laughs) like, maybe this person doesn't really know what they're talking about. Yeah. It's quite superficial, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> like oh, this is so important. I'm yeah. going to make myself sound like I, I get this. And I, yeah. I feel like exactly. people need to know about it, but I can't actually put any meaning behind it. Or like, look at me, I'm reading so I'm reading so diversely. Here's this super important book that I, an important person, read. Like, please don't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> but on like a more positive note. Yeah then the beauty of booktube mm-hmm. is that you can find those diverse authors yeah. and diverse stories oh that God, yeah. you maybe mm-hmm. wouldn't find anywhere else um yes and i think that's great yeah because like for sure all the books i've read have been books that have been recommended to me by booktube people in the last like two or three years of course because what i used to do before when i started reading i i was quite a late bloomer when it comes to reading i've said this before (laughs) on the podcast but like it took me a while i've only been reading for real for like six years Mm -hmm. and so when i usually what i used to do was either read only the books that my best friend recommended to me oh yes yes, or only read the book that if i like went to a library or something or to like a bookshop and I'd ask somebody there I'd be like I quite like strong women I quite like fight scenes recommend me a book and it would be the most generic white book about Uh, this woman who falls in love with the 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 broody white boy and I was like (laughs) I cannot read any more of these stories yeah and so booktube was so helpful for me in getting out of that and yes stumbling across books like that I would have never seen had it not been for booktube so I'm really grateful for yes when I think of booktube or at least like the kind of booktube that I'm trying to create I think of it as filling a gap that's always kind of that that's what pushed me to making my own channel I think because I was like there's all these amazing books out there that no one's really talking about no one is really talking about books the way I want to talk about them so like I'm going to fulfill that need so I kind of feel like that's where booktube is like there's the publishing industry they're doing their thing but like then we're doing our own thing where we're like these are the books we're excited about yeah i wanted to ask you about your thoughts on representation in mainstream publishing and if you think that it's getting better or is it still um small publishers and independent publishers that are leading the way there and that sort of the, the big publishers have sort of playing catch up. <laughs> I think the publishing industry has changed a lot over the past few years. We're definitely seeing a higher influx of marginalized voices and queer voices and own voices books and mm. we need diverse books and all that kind of stuff. But there's definitely still a lot that has to change. I think a lot of the issues in the publishing industry right now are largely systemic. So it's hard for them to change because you have these professionals who are kind of like grandfathered in, right? Mm. And But we kind of need like a top to bottom redo. Like we need more acquiring agents of color. We need more agents of color, editors of color. We need more publicists of color and marginalized backgrounds. And yeah, I think there's very slow to catch up. So like 
I know some of the big five publishers have never published an own voices trans book. And like, that's barely going to change in 2020. I think there's three that are up for publication. So yeah, it's like, it seems like there's a lot of change and there's a lot of things coming in, but I think they're through smaller presses. They're through indie presses and we're just sort of now getting into the big publishers. Can you just quickly explain what you mean by um, big five publishers, just yes. for people that might not know? Yeah, so according to the internet, the big five are Hachette, HarperCollins, Macmillan, Penguin Random House, and Simon & Schuster. So like the staple names that everyone The knows. most recognizable publishing houses in the US, which is where everything begins, unfortunately. Everything sort of disseminates from the US. Do you think that the indie presses and all of that have to work twice as hard to get the word out about their books? Or do you think that because these authors belong to a community that has not been represented before, um, they kind of do the work that big publishing houses would, I don't know, buy advertising for or something? Did you get my point? It was kind of messy. (laughs) I think I got the general point. Of course, yeah, I think indie publishers are always doing twice the work of the big publishing houses to push their new titles and their new authors. And yeah, so there, yeah, there's a lot of like advertisement space that's taken up by the bigger publishers. So they definitely have to do more posting, more advertising, more reaching out to reviewers. It kind of feels more of like a homebrewed thing when we're talking about indie publishers, but yeah. And do you think that they have a better relationship with YouTube content creators, for example, because of that, because they have to find cheaper ways to get the word out there? I don't think indie publishers have a better relationship with booktubers. I think people are more hesitant to maybe partner or work with Mm -hmm. independent publishers because it's kind of sketchier. Like there's just maybe a random person who shows up in your inbox like, hey, I wrote this book and like... I would love for you to review it. You know, it's like, it's only going to work like, you know, three times out of 10. How do you decide what you review out of all the, you know, every time you get approached, whether it is from um, an indie publisher or or from a bigger organization, how do you decide what you choose? For me, I just always like ask myself if it's someone from a publishing house or um, a publishing division, I'm ask myself, are these people making books that I actually care about that I would actually read? I make sure they know that um, I care about flexibility. So I reserve the right to decline any titles that I'm not interested in, or I can tell them that I'm not interested in unsolicited titles or I can specifically request the titles that I want to read. So I try to make sure that their values are aligned with mine, because if I wouldn't read it and review it like in my free time, then I'm not going to read it and review it for anyone else. That makes sense. Is is there like a type of book that even if you had no idea who the publishing house was, you would say yes to? I mean, I feel like we all have buzzwords. I just, any own voices, like queer authors, like I'm always down with that. Any like tropey stuff, like hate, like <laughs> for real though, like any tropey stuff, like enemies to lovers or yes, like my fake dating or just like 
And like, if it was that and queer, like, just give it to me. Like, I don't care if you're a nobody off the street, I'll read it. I was watching this this trashy show the other day. <laughs> what show? Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, there is my favorite trope, which is enemies to friends to lovers. Oh, it's um, so good. And it's, it's so good. It's, it's gay. And <laughs> I really love that show. And I know that objectively it's probably garbage, but also mm. I don't care. <laughs> Look, we've got to take the representation we can get exactly. in shows, whether it's trash yeah, or not. You gotta just love you gotta love what you love. <laughs> I'm in like heaven with TV at the moment because um I mean it's it's been out in or I think all of it's been out in the US already, but um we've just started to get Gentleman Jack over here, mm-hmm. which like I've been obsessed with Amnesty for years already and now the show's out and I watched the first episode about three times before the second <laughs> one came out and I'm just like, yes, give me gay period drama based in yes. West Yorkshire, yes. I feel like I keep hearing about that one. I haven't seen it yet, but I keep hearing about it, yeah. You need to do I it. Know, I know, like, I know. It said, I don't know, like gay period stuff. I, yeah, I've sort of taken on the unofficial mantle of like, press ganging everybody that I come across into yeah. watching it. <laughs> You've messaged it's me great. maybe like 20 times about this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was slightly biased in that one of my favourite bands have written the uh, song that plays on the credits and uh, one of my friends from uni was a floor runner on it and I got so excited because her name was in the credits. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, it just has everything that I want in life at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I know, I got to get on it. <laughs> Okay, that's my gentleman Jack ran over our shop. Good. Yep, we've done it. Got Tick. it in. Shoehorned it in. <laughs> it's fine. You managed to talk about it twice in the last two episodes. It's a good. Hey, you you bring up the same book every episode, so I'm allowed to mention a show <laughs> yes, twice. <I> do. <laughs> that's me bringing up the same five books every day. <laughs> it's fine. We um. To celebrate the fact that we got 200 subscribers on Twitter, we were going to make a bingo card of these episodes because we keep saying the same things over and over again. Um, <laughs> you should. That would be fun. And one of them is a mentioning that they've still not finished said book. <laughs> <laughs> I have finished it. It's fine. It's done now. I've got myself. I've gotten myself out of my reading slump. Yay! Because I st- I did the Asian readathon and mm. read like. 11 books which yeah. is more than I've read since the start of the year yeah I've been beast moding through the Asian readathon too so it's very exciting nice. what did you read so much <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm currently trying to finish up before the end of the month um tell me how you really feel by Amina May Safi I think I don't know if you heard of that one it's like queer enemies to lovers rom-com <gasps> The yeah, perfect so narrative. many things. I read, I'm all over the board. I have The Matchmakers List. I have Ruse by Cindy Pond, Dragon Pearl by Yunha Lee, When Diplomat Rishi by Sandhya Manan, A River in Darkness, which is a memoir, The Bride Test by Helen Huang, um, a queer manga called Our Dreams at Dusk, uh, Descendant of the Crane, You Go First, got some poetry in there. So yeah, I'm all over the board. Amazing. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been really fun for me too. Because I'd never like, I had read Asian stuff before, obviously. Of course. Um, but like, I'd never done a month of only that because I did a month of only uh, books written by Black authors. Yes. Last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. 
and that was really fun and so I was like I'm doing this again mm-hmm. and then the Asian Readathon was out and I was like this is perfect yeah I always love those kinds of like history months or like pride mm-hmm. months or anything like that because then you can really just like get into it and sp- see all the amazing books by all these amazing authors like way more than you could ever read in a month and like I think that's lit yeah I think it's a really good way of uh, throwing yourself into maybe a a load of books that you wouldn't normally pick and and yes a really quick way of diversifying your reading and getting you into the mindset of diversifying your reading yeah, it's a good way of like challenging yourself. And like, especially what I liked about the Asian readathon was that like the host specifically said like each book you read for this readathon has to be from an author who's from a different Asian background. And I think that's really cool because like a lot yeah. of people often conflate all the different kind of Asian identities. So it's been really challenging to be like, okay, I, I should have an intersectional read with like a queer Asian person. I should be reading from this area of Asia. Like I should try something different. Yeah, definitely. That's what interested me with the readathon as well when I started is that like at first when I started making the list in my head, it was like everyone was Japanese. Right. Because all yeah. the books that I wanted to read were like famous Japanese books that I've wanted to read for ages like and then I was like okay no let's think about this again and do it properly and came up with a list and like it wasn't that hard like at first I was like this is going to be impossible I'm going to have to have like the same I don't know like the (laughs) same country twice I'm going to have to like double up on challenges no like yeah yeah, there's like so much more than you would think exactly yeah and I like that it's a pleasant surprise have you got plans for pride month I do I Um, yeah, I try to be ambitious for Pride Month. I try to, like, again, my brain's like, you must read all the queer things. But, like, there's literally too many queer things. So I know I can't (laughs) do it. I think my current, like, potential list is, like, maybe 10 plus books. We'll see what happens. A couple of those are graphic novels. So hopefully it'll be okay. But, yeah, I'm going to try to be ambitious. And, of course, there's the Queer Lit Readathon, which, of course, I'm going to do. So many books to read. (laughs) So little time. Yeah, how am I going to do it? (laughs) Is there any sort of facet of queerness that you've struggled to find represented in uh, literature? I mean... I mean, this might be just because I'm not picking the right books, but um, (laughs) I don't think I've ever ever really come across um, non-binary identities Mm -hmm. represented in anything that I've read. And like I said, that's probably because my reading isn't diverse enough, but I just wondered if if there are things that you struggle to find. Yeah, I think for sure, like things with different gender identities, that's fairly new, I feel like for publishers or bigger publishers. So I don't feel like we have seen enough of that yet. I think it's maybe coming in the future. Another one I was just thinking about this morning is uh, a romantic or ace representation. Like there are definitely books out there, but I feel like you could sort of definitively put most of them on like one list and be done. So I definitely want to see more of that. Are there any coming soon that you know of? Uh, for which which ones? <laughs> Either. I'll take anything. Um, <laughs> I want it all. I'm greedy. <laughs> I mean, one of the like one of the trans books from 2020 I'm very excited about is Cemetery Boys from Aidan Thomas, 
which is like an own voices Latinx. It's supposed to be like kind of like Coco inspired, like oh. talk communing with the dead, but like one of the characters is trans. So that's really exciting. I don't really know about any Arrow Ace upcoming books. I know that Claire Kahn is publishing a new book soon, but I don't know if this character is also on the Ace spectrum or not. Well, I am already excited for that one if it's a bit inspired by Coco because I love that film so much. Yeah, that was that's what it says in the pitch and it's very exciting. <laughs> I need it now. <laughs> I know. Like... See, that's the kind of thing where if I had that in my inbox, I would be like, yeah, yes, sign exactly. me up. I will read this. I'm, I'm waiting for Aiden to DM me one day like, hey. <laughs> no, I want to read my book. Because I'll be like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you think, because you were saying that the fact that like there's more and more diverse, I mean, I hate that word, yeah, but yeah. diverse books um, out there, do you think it it's because more and more of them are being written or is it an increase in the amount of chances that publishing houses are willing to give those scripts? I mean, the sad thing about the publishing industry is that at the end of the day, it is a business and they do have a bottom line. So I do think we are seeing a greater diversity of like marginalized identities and queer identities, but it could just be like from a marketing perspective, like, oh, here's like a new venture that like no one else has really done before. And like, we could be the first or like we could be the first successful one and that maybe has some kind of like monetary appeal. So I think there's definitely, you know, the business side of it is driving that. But I also think that the readers are rising to the occasion and like supporting the books they care about. So I hope it's sort of in tandem with each other. You have to be optimistic, right? <laughs> is there a book that you've read recently that you've particularly enjoyed mm, like a queer book let's see i mean that that is the target audience of the podcast I know, I know. any other book that you want to recommend <laughs> <laughs> one of the more exciting books i read for the asian readathon was our dreams at dusk which is a manga and that was really exciting for me for the because the mangaka is actually like gender non-binary which is like literally unheard of <laughs> so that to me was really dope i think it is a really interesting take on like coming out and especially like how fraught it is to come out as like uh, Japanese youth and all of the problems that they face. So uh, that was one I was really excited about. I definitely want to continue with that series. Cool. I'll take it yeah. out. Sounds yeah, I highly cool. recommend. Do you think that books have an advantage in terms of representation than other media? I think the interesting thing about books is that there's definitely more like explicit representation. I think there's more opportunity for that. And I think books are an interesting space because they're more interior and there's more room for like introspection and looking inwards than could ever be translated on screen. So I think there's definitely a lot of opportunity for representation in books. And I think if people want quality representation, that is one of the better places to start. But TV, I think, as opposed to movies, let's say, I think TV is light years ahead and is also going to some interesting, exciting places very slowly, but they are. Yes. Can you give us some examples of your favorite uh, queer representation in TV at the moment? Yeah. I mean, 
it was canceled, but one day at a time oh, <laughs> was my favo. My baby. I know. Like I'm they had so still my Twitter. They name. had it all. It was like beautiful Latinx representation, beautiful queer representation. They had a non-binary love interest. It was like, oh, you guys they are... dressed up as Doctor Who for Halloween. I know. <laughs> it's such a perfect show. I was like, you're doing it so good, and then they were like, yes. no more. It it oh, makes me so Netflix. mad because I think that is just a perfect example of how important a show can be for so many different reasons because it's important in terms of allowing people to see themselves on screen and see themselves represented. Yes. But also it was a really open and heartwarming and accessible show that had the potential to educate a much wider audience about the I mean that Me Too episode they did was so good and there were so many bad Me Too episodes in all these shows but that one that one was so good it always managed to strike the perfect balance of being really warm and light-hearted and funny and then having that moment in every episode where I'd be like oh my god I'm suddenly crying I was laughing a second ago how have they done this sobbing And then two minutes later, not sobbing anymore and just happy again. Yeah. The great thing about like one day at a time is like it would go to places like that your fave could never like talking about like drug abuse and like toxic masculinity and homophobia and machismo and just like all this good stuff. And it's like, who else is doing this this way? No one. And especially like it, a lot of these shows are like really adult shows like shows for adults yeah. where they deal with what they call adult topics but like this show it was for teenagers it was for like family i mean it was for like older children but it was like still yeah your child could watch this and not be traumatized for life and actually learn something and learn tolerance and learn to be a better person and they just i know it so they they're like friends. actually we're done with that it's like <laughs> what <laughs> what do they just never learn? No. They cancel Sensei. What I was going to say, Netflix has this really irritating habit of giving you something that you really, really want and that you fall in love with and you're like, oh my God, Netflix is amazing. And then they just take it away from yep. you. <laughs> I know. But then you can't hate them because then they'll give you a little bit of something else. <laughs> I know. It's like, I want to be, I want to be mad at them, but then like they have one day at a time and they have Shiran, the princesses of power. And it's like, mm, and they have that, what that and new movie like, with Ali Wong. And yeah, I'm mm. just like, they giveth and they taketh away, and I don't know what exactly. to do about it. <laughs> it's like you want to hate them because they're horrible and hate people clearly, yeah. but also they're the only ones doing it. Yeah, yeah exactly. But because I just there was a point where I was being really mad that they'd got rid of one day over time, but also being really excited because there was a trans plot line in Sabrina, and it was mm-hmm. it was very conflicting time. I know it's just like what are these feelings and where do I put them like what do I do with this? what do I do with this <laughs> well clearly get angry on yeah, Twitter for sure like retweet all the angry like network Netflix yes. you cowards like tweets and all that yes. <laughs> me exactly me <laughs> but yeah it's okay because they've given us all of friends to watch uh, so don't start <laughs> no with that it. 
that's what we want. <laughs> I know. It always comes up like popular on Netflix or like people are watching now and yeah. it's like friends and I'm like, I would never like get it out of my face. <laughs> like sell friends. I've started doing the thing where you like, you can put a thumbs down on your Netflix yes. recommendations. Yes. And so I started doing that because they started recommending the really bad shows, yeah. the like the one about bonding that they got out and apparently it's the worst thing ever (laughs) yeah and so i started like putting a thumbs down to that and then i thumbs down yes all the aggressively like there was one that i was like really looking forward to and then it ended up about uh, something it was like this i have no idea (laughs) correct me if i'm wrong if anybody has seen this but it was like this woman of color and she was a witch or something and it was meant to be like really cool and then it turns out she's like trying to save her slave owner oh, or something. No. That's not the like, really that's not horrible. the what is it called? Always a witch or something, is it? That's not that one, right? Maybe. Maybe? I have no I don't idea. Know. I, I know there's like it. one there's some show about like a bruja that like everyone yells about every now and then. But oh, it might be that, yeah. And yeah, so that's sad to hear. I hadn't heard that, but that's devastating. <laughs> <laughs> there's always like that one thing that like people don't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one little thing they keep secret and yeah, that's a bad one. Because it's it's like the thing with Brooklyn Nine Nine, right? Mm. At the same time, love the show; it's really funny. funny. But also, the police fucking sucks. Yeah. And why are they making them out to be super nice yeah, boys? Yeah, like soft, pure, funny really boys. It's like actually, like police brutality <laughs> in the U.S. is pretty bad. Yep, but still, it's funny. Yeah. It's the thing with TV is like you can never find the perfect show, so you go for the least horrible. Yeah, one. that's yeah. <laughs> it can be like that with books sometimes too. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> I heard this one's okay, so I guess <laughs> it's got these good elements. But so if I ignore this one bad thing, <laughs> it'll be okay, right? Yeah. Like I was reading this book the other day, and I just couldn't for the life of me connect with the characters like it was one of those books Mm. where i read the synopses of it and i was like this this is going to be five out of five stars i'm going to fucking love this it's going to be brilliant it's by an author who i've liked the other book i've read from her um it's going to be really good Mm -hmm. and i read it and i just didn't care i didn't care and it was like touching on all these really important topics and it talked about colorism and it talked about um like race and all these like really important things that you never read about anywhere else and I was reading it and I was like that was that's really good Mm -hmm. but I could not care less about these characters so clearly something's gone wrong here (laughs) and so it's always like I never know how to rank these books because it's like I understand how important it is for this book to exist but also I personally didn't vibe with it at all man which book was this it was uh the gilded wolves yeah, I keep hearing like mixed mixed stuff about that one. I haven't read it yet, but I want to. Oh, I love the just anything with a heist. Sign me the fuck. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and this was like heist, but on so many levels, it was interesting. Yeah, and I just that's when I understood about myself that I really need characters to. I really need to care about the character to enjoy the book, and I thought I. I thought that I needed the plot to be more interesting than the characters, mm. but now I know yeah, yeah. that this is got to have that perfect and balance. Exactly. <sighs> Such a rare thing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Especially when you, you talk about like YA fantasy. Because it's like, I don't know, it's an oversaturated genre. There's it so is. much, just so much of it. Yes. 
And so I always go for the one that is just a little bit more diverse than the other yeah, ones. Yeah, exactly. And just sometimes they're just not good. Mm -hmm. And it makes me sad because I want them to be really good. And they're just... They're just yeah, not. I'm always looking for like the author that's going to like restore my faith in YA fantasy. So <laughs> you find one every now and then, but it's definitely yeah. hit or miss. But yeah, for, for the Asian Readathon, I've been reading a lot more like contemporary than I usually do. Oh, that's exciting. Now I'm like, just give me some middle grade <laughs> where stuff happens on every single page and there's magic. Yeah. I need this in my life because right I've been Pearl reading about <laughs> the life of this like boring suburban family. Ugh. And they're not boring. It's a great book and I loved it. Yeah. But also it's about this boring suburban family in America. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I want magic. And where are my dragons? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's something we're still always waiting for as well. It's like, where are my like queer fantasy adventure stories? Yes. Like where is like my like latinx based fantasy story like where are these like adventure mm. stories where like marginalized people are like the heroes i feel yeah. like we are always waiting for those too and you sort of feel like that should be the perfect genre as well because you're creating a world where you don't have to have the constraints of the society that we live in oh yeah so it seems like a perfect opportunity to put those yeah. characters in perfect space but yeah i know it's just it's hard for authors because they're like responding to their internal biases they don't even know about mm. and they keep perpetuating like these systems of oppression and like homophobia yeah. and these like binary societies and it's like can't, is this not fantasy like <laughs> you could just like make up whatever words you want and whatever races you want and like you're still doing this yeah, because it's like it's like sci-fi. Like you tend to only see sci-fi that is based on the human world, mm -hmm. and like I understand the value of that because then you get to like actually compare it to your own world, and you can make points easier. Yes. And then you get amazing books. And here comes the shout out that has come in every single episode <laughs> in the last. I was like, waiting year. for this as soon as we got onto fantasy. <laughs> the long way to a small, small angry, angry planet. planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that does it just so well and does something completely different and is really beautiful yeah the other day I was in a bookstore and I like I literally like put that book in one of my friend's hands like this is for you please take it home please enjoy it like <laughs> here is the perfect book you're welcome the perfect book <laughs> thank me later yeah pretty much <laughs> Or it was like I had gone through like all the shelves and I was just like recommending her a bunch of like different SFF books and like she came back to that one. And she was like, it's this one. I'm like, you are correct. <laughs> you have chosen yeah, well. You did. <laughs> I am still the terrible person that hasn't read it because everyone uh, is telling me how good uh, it is and I'm scared that I might not like beautiful it. Beautiful and soft <laughs> and domestic and queer. It's very queer. Yeah, the queerest thing you've ever read. The queerest thing no, I've ever lie. read in my life. <laughs> I know. I need to do it. It's just, and I think I've said this before, but I think it's because so many people have told me how good it is. I'm like, but what if it's yeah. not? What if I don't like it? But I do just need to do it. I'm that way with Evelyn Hugo. I haven't read that one oh my God. yet. I know. I know. You should have never said this. I know. This. You're facing <laughs> Evelyn Hugo's biggest fan I know. right now. <laughs> I know. A is about Evelyn Hugo like I am about Gentleman Jack. <laughs> yes. 
I will just casually mention it in conversation at least once a day. <laughs> it's just like it's so universally loved and I just I feel it like is, yeah. it's an ace in my back pocket. So I just like I'm like when the time comes, like <laughs> the time will come. <laughs> it's Pride Month. What better time could you find to read Evelyn Hugo? Yeah. No. On my grave, you can put Evan Hugo's first biggest one fan. fan. Yeah. Well, yeah. to be fair, I read it because you wouldn't shut up about it, and yes. I did absolutely love it. So I'm really happy. I, it, I got it a work. straight person to read it, and they did not love it as oh, much. No. And I was like, yes, because you don't understand. Because <laughs> you don't deserve it. You don't get it. <laughs> you could never. <laughs> this isn't for you. <laughs> it's it's mostly because like. I'm sure if you compare it to other straight books, then it is just like an, any other straight book. Yeah, but it's... in terms of Quillet, we've never had that level of goodness before. Oh, man. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> See, people say that and then they're just really not. <laughs> I, I, I was not ready. <laughs> I probably am not because, you know, people don't talk enough about like the nuances of that book I feel so like all I know is that it's that's good true. and I don't know anything else but I think that's a good way to I feel go like it's into that it. way. I feel like yeah. you sort of want to yeah. go in not knowing mm-hmm. I think you get a lot more from it then probably you do. it's just like I want to know <laughs> <laughs> tell me about the seven <laughs> we've been talking for an hour so I feel like <laughs> we should get you to put yourself on our queer scale <laughs> Oh my god, we didn't do my favourite question. Oh no, let's get what's your favourite question? Let's do your favourite question, oh which is evil. The favourite question is evil, and it is oh. top five favourite queer books. I wrote this down somewhere. So. And it's not <laughs> so as evil as so it used strong. to be, because it was favourite queer book of all time, which oh, is just yeah. mean. That's horrible. It's a horrible question that makes me want to die. Yes, so, same. Which is why I ask it to everybody. Just <laughs> off the top of my head, I would say my top five is like Song of Achilles, The Gods of Tango, The House of Impossible Beauties, Peter Darling, Arian Dante. That's probably the top of the top, but there are a lot <laughs> of good ones out there. Like I'm already thinking about like Juliet Takes a Breath and yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> It's it's an impossible question. It is. And I just get really glad that I don't get asked it. Out of those five, can you... And I see, now I'm being mean because I'm going to make you pick one of them to go on the top. Oh, no! Your That's queer even scale worse! And something horrible to go on the bottom of your queer <laughs> scale. And then... Well, no, um, I already... I have my queer scale. Remember, it's um, Ari and Dante. Oh. They're at the ends of the bookends of the... Ah, of course. <laughs> I will never succumb. <laughs> I will never choose. <laughs> you avoid that question. So, <laughs> so you've got Ari at one end and Dante at the other end. Yes. So, can you yes. just, for people who don't know the book, can you just um, give a quick little explanation of who they are? Well, I can. I'll explain it as I go through my scale. I guess, like the essence of these characters. <laughs> so. I decided to base my scale off two characters from the same book, which is one of my favorite books, Aristotle and Dante by Benjamin Alirez Sainz. So on one side of the spectrum is Ari, who represents like the sad gay, the timid gay, the gay who's still trying to like figure things out and come to terms with himself. And on the other end is Dante, who represents like the excitable gay, the effusive gay who just wants to live out all their whims and just be fearless and just like go with the breeze. 
So I decided, because I'm me, that I'm neither one of those beautiful boys, because on a scale of <laughs> Ari to Dante, I am firmly like Ziomara's twin brother from the poet X, who's <laughs> Latinx and described as incredibly queer, but also just like the biggest weeaboo anime loving nerdy boy. So like, that's me to a T. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes. Thank you. We haven't really talked about anime. I know. We should. <laughs> you want to talk about like, anime? Let's talk about anime. <laughs> let's talk about anime. Recommend like three good queer animes. Oh my god, I don't even know three queer animes. <laughs> you are Just obsessed with the numbers. I You're am. So mean. I'm a scientist. Remember, I used to be in a past life. I'm. I'm not taking any responsibility for these horrible <laughs> questions. The first one I can think of is Wandering Sun, which is this wonderfully soft all ages series about two young characters who are realizing that they are trans. And the show really has this beautiful, hazy watercolor feel to it, and it's just about the characters trying to explore that space. Another series that's definitely not as all ages and more of a yaoi series is Love Stage, which is about a young character who wants to be a mangaka, but he did a commercial for a wedding magazine as a child, and now 10 years later, he's reuniting with the co-star of that commercial, and there's an attraction between them. There's definitely some sexual elements to it, but it's pretty tastefully done in my opinion. Still, I would not call it one of my favorites. Oh, and I would be remiss not to mention one of the absolute best queer animes, Yuri on Ice. I love a good sports anime, and this one is about professional ice skaters trying to prove themselves on and off the ice. And it has so many overtly queer characters and themes, and a wonderful romantic relationship between the main character and his coach slash ice skating idol. Sometimes I really just think about how much this show blessed us with queer content, and I genuinely cannot believe it. Oh no, there's also number six, which has an explicit queer relationship. Um, it is not yaoi, it's like sci-fi, it's like dystopian, like living in this city where like the government has total control of the people and like these two gay boys being gay in the middle of that. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> The best kind of gay boy when yeah. they're being gay. <laughs> it's hard for me to find, like, good queer anime and manga that I want to watch because, like, I think queerness is interpreted so interestingly in Japan. Like, there's no middle ground. It's, like, there's – it's very fetishized and there's, like, the yaoi yuri, like, fandoms of, like, just, like, straight women who are just, like, into oh, – they've almost made into, like, a kink, like, queerness. Yeah. And then there's, like, the good, soft, pure, like, queer content, which is much harder to find. <laughs> so even though, like, I love anime and I'm just, like, a super weeb, like, it's very hard for me to, like, find anime or manga series where it's, like, that's something I actually care about and not that's just, like, about sex, sex, sex. I actually don't watch much anime. I mostly watch the uh, American anime. <laughs> what I call the American anime. Well, what's American like, anime? <laughs> It's like Avatar and like oh Korra yeah Avatar like Voltron yes and like yes. all of those like Dragon Prince oh man you should watch Ruby for sure ooh what's that oh I my like god it. you guys haven't heard about Ruby <laughs> no. no it's a it's a Rooster Teeth animation show 
Yeah, it's like set in this fictional world that's like overrun by these creatures called Grimm. And there are these four main characters who are girls and they're going to like this elite academy to train to become hunters so they can like defeat the evil creatures. And it's like very good. Two of them are queer and are, you know, it's happening. Like it's happening canonically. It's very good. That's very good. I think... There might be more than just the two queer characters, but like of the main characters, two of them are queer. It's very good. That's very it's good. It's very good. Is it on Netflix? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's on Crunchyroll, though, if you have that. And it's on YouTube. I think the first oh. five seasons, I think, are all on YouTube on the Rooster Teeth channel, like for free, totally for free. So yeah, That's add it to your watch later. <laughs> You're full of all the good recommends, which <laughs> sinks us nicely into. Wow. <laughs> the that transition was, that was, that was so, so smooth. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> um, have you got any other queer recommends for us? I have so many queer things I want to <laughs> shout out, so I'm just going to try and keep it short and sweet. So first, I thought, why not start with a podcast since we're on a podcast? So one of my favorite queer podcasts is The Hopeless Romantic, hosted by Amanda H. Jean and Austin Chant. It's a fantastic show that focuses on the romance genre, specifically queer romance, and discusses conventions of the genre, what works, what doesn't work. And of course, there's a ton of recommendations for queer romance. So it's great. That sounds Amazing. Whilst we're talking about podcasts and queer podcasts specifically, I just want to take this, steal this moment away from yeah, you no, for please, a second please. and recommend um, this really cool podcast that I found like two months ago called Afro Queer, and it's by host uh, Sally Thiam, I think, Ooh. and basically she goes around uh, Africa and gets stories and queer stories oh. directly from different countries in Africa and it's super interesting. I'd never heard of anything like that before. Yeah. Everything you hear about queerness is very, very first world um, <laughs> centered. And so it was very interesting to kind of hear of like, um, one of the episodes that comes to mind right now is called The Cost of Pride. And it's basically what mm. it means to them to be able to celebrate pride. Like it's not just any other day you go out with your friends and you wear rainbows it's like there's actually life and death when it comes to pride um, yeah in those countries exactly and it's really interesting it's very well made and i just wanted to shout it out that okay. sounds awesome yeah i'll have to look it up i actually just looked it up as you were speaking and added it to my list of podcasts amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah so now, The Hopeless Romantic is a podcast that has since concluded, but the good news is that Austin and Amanda have a new podcast they have, which is called The Red Pen, where they've taken a more broad approach to discussing all different forms of media. So each episode is like a deep dive into a book or a movie or a TV show or a video game, a series, whatever it may be. And of course, since Austin and Amanda are big old queers. Queerness does often come into these nuanced analyses more often than not. Jumping off that, you may recognize the name Austin Chant because he is a trans author who writes exclusively own voices trans works. And I highly recommend his queer trans retelling of Peter Pan called Peter Darling, which is one of my all-time favorite books. It's a version of the story where Peter is raised as Wendy Darling, but when he goes to Neverland, he's able to become and live as his idealized true self. 
It is so complex and awesome and uses the convention of Neverland in really wonderful ways. And I just recommend everything he writes. That sounds like it's such an interesting take. I know. I'm so excited at that premise. I know. It's so good because I've, I've had that on my TBR oh ever my since God. you recommended it for the first I time. I just on your channel love it because it's like <laughs> I've always loved Peter Pan, but it's like I never really understood who he was. And like when you introduce transness into it, it just makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Next, I Wouldn't Be Me If I Didn't Recommend The House of Impossible Beauties by Joseph Casada, which is an own voices queer Latinx story that is a fictional take on the real historical figures who founded the now infamous House of Extravaganza in 1980s New York. It does come with a lot of potential triggers because it realistically explores what these drag queens and Latinx queer folks had to face. But I think it's ultimately empowering and hopeful because it's about living in a world that only offers you pain and injustice, but then choosing to reflect back love, support, safety, and unapologetic joy instead. It truly changed my life. And I feel like if you've seen things like Paris is Burning or the TV show Pose, both of which I also recommend, then you have a better idea of what it's all about. I got to give a quick shout out to Let's Talk About Love by Claire Kahn, which is all about a biromantic, asexual black girl named Alice who starts falling for the hot new coworker at the library she works at. It is everything. It is a celebration of an ace character who finds love and joy with a wonderful person without compromising any part of herself. And it is so good. Similarly, I have to recommend The Trouble by Dario DeFore, who actually helped produce the Hopeless Romantic podcast. But this is her own voices, ace queer book about an aromantic character. I said ace, but this is her own voices, aromantic queer book about an aromantic character named Danny Kim, who is the frontman of a rock band. And one night after a gig, he badly hits on this guy who turns out to be the TA for his accounting class. It is hilarious. It's sexy. And I love that Danny and Ji Yoon are able to have this relationship by discussing what they want and need out of a relationship for it to be successful and fulfilling instead of just despairing over the ways they're different. Whew. Okay. Final one, I promise. <laughs> I'm so excited for all of these. I want them yeah, all now. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> it's like my greatest hits. <laughs> so... I have to show love for one of my favorite new releases, I Wish You All the Best by Mason Deaver. It is yes. own voices, queer lit about a non-binary character named Ben. And obviously, since Mason Deaver is non-binary and I'm non-binary, when reading it, all I could think was like, this author gets it. So the story explores trauma, therapy, gender dysphoria, self-image for MB folks who don't fit in a quote-unquote androgynous box. And ultimately, it has a lot to say about love and self-acceptance. It's so great. And I'm so excited that it's been received so well. I'm so excited for that book. It's it's the one book that I've allowed myself because I've been on a book buying ban for ages. <laughs> and it's the one book that I've been like, I really want this. It's worth it. And it is so, it's going to rock your socks. I will take myself to Waterstone and <laughs> get it and read it and, and love it. hold it close and, and cherish it. I will it. probably cry. <laughs> I got to see it like in the bookstore the other day and I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> I got um, a uh, book token for my birthday and I feel like I'm just going to spend it on everything that you've just recommended because <laughs> yes, please I do. want them on now. That is my, that is my <laughs> gay agenda and you are following it to a T. <laughs> I'm happy to oblige. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Mm, thank you for having thank me. Thank you so, so much for chatting with us and giving us 
your time a massive thank you to adriana for taking the time to talk to us especially with all the technical difficulties involved as ever you can find all adriana's details in the description well not all of them not like the home address and stuff but like their youtube channel and twitter handle the normal kind of things if you liked this episode then you should definitely check out our chat with Cece from problems of a book nerd for even more queer book chat as i said earlier this is our last episode for a while but we've got plenty in our back catalogue that you can go back and listen to when you miss us including conversations with web series creator jules piggott activist ellen jones disability consultant andrew gerza and many more you can also check out all the love stories from series one including the funniest divorce story the cutest first meeting and the most disturbing amount of bodily fluids discussed in one episode you have been warned about that one make sure you follow us on twitter at nobody dies pod to be the first to know when we'll be back with a new batch of episodes Um, If you liked this episode or any other in the series, then please, please, please go and rate and review us on iTunes. It only takes a few minutes. You can just give us um, the star rating or if you've got a little bit more time, you could just write a sentence or two about what the podcast means to you. Thank you so much for sticking with us this series. It means a lot and I really hope that you've enjoyed all the interesting discussions that we've had with all our wonderful guests this series. Other than that, I hope you have a delightful summer and we'll see you on the other side. Bye. Nobody died. Nobody-